All right, look at that. Hi, everybody. I don't even know. Here's my phone. It is, uh, let's see. It is uh, March 27th, Friday, 2020. And uh, my name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of The Luke Thomas Show, Sirius XM. I'm one of the hosts of Morning Combat out there on Digital Showtime. And this is my live chat. Without further ado, let us get this going, please. And uh, there we are. We are back. Okay, do me a favor. Give the video a thumbs up. Subscribe to the channel if you wouldn't mind doing that. Number one, really appreciate your patience. I know we got started much later today. Uh, my radio show, because of the nature of this pandemic, is no longer live. Everyone's working from home. And so I have to create and send assets. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than I anticipate. That's on me. I apologize. Thank you so much for all your help there. Now, if you'll recall, one more a bit of housekeeping notes. I had said last week that I was going to not do any um, donation drives for this show anymore for this week. Change of plans. But here's the difference. So from today until the end of April, I don't know exactly what day that will be. I can look that up. Uh, let me make sure I get the date right. Um, let's see. Calendar. Um, let's see. So from today, which is the 27th of March until April basically 24th, unless I do one that last week, all donations collected in that period are going to be donated to a local charity. So I will not keep them. I'm still going to collect them, but anything you give me, I'll answer your questions, but anything you give me, I'm going to put give a check to a local charity. Now, as you know, probably a lot of places in your own towns where employers are setting up GoFundMes to get their employees paid. It'll probably go to something like that. Perhaps it'll go to a homeless shelter. I, I don't I don't exactly know yet. Um, if you have a cause you would like me to donate to, my only request is that you keep it local. Um, you know, I think everyone should give back to their local community as best they could. So any donations from this show until all the way through the 24th, uh, I will collect all of them, put them in one big check, and we're going to give them um, to a local cause in my, in my area. Okay? Um, and I'll I'll tally it up each time you guys give about what how, how much it ends up being. Hopefully, it ends up being a lot. I'll probably um, throw a little bit on top as well, but that'll be that. Okay. So anyone who donates, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, and just know it's going to I, what I hope will be a very very good cause. With that out of the way, um, let's put that down. Again, we always do this on Fridays, usually at noon, but now what's happening with my radio show? It's just becoming a little bit harder because I can't do it live anymore. So, um, that's it. Let's just get it going with the questions that we have, and then that'll be that. Um, all right. Very good. Let's pull it up here. Man, what a day. All these adjustments are crazy. Uh, okay. Let's get to your questions, shall we? All right. First one's up. And again, folks are always like, oh, no more coronavirus questions. Dude, I'm happy to answer anything you want me to answer, but uh, they're your questions. And so I can't get to them. I mean, I can only get to what you guys vote for. That's it. All right. First one up. Uh, Luke, the alcohol was never really there in John Jones's bloodstream. It was just pulsing from the last time. Yeah, I mean, look, there's going to be a lot of people who have negative things to say about John, and you can kind of understand that. So you guys don't hear me swallow. Sorry about that. Um, all right. What do you want to say about John? 
thought about this a lot uh, recently. Um, there's going to be a lot of people taking shots at him. You know, there's going to be a lot of people who, and, and look, you can understand. I know Israel Adesanya, who I also like, was taking a lot of shots. You know, look, these guys who are rivals with each other, it's just going to be what it's going to be. Um, I would argue that I can't, I, I personally can't bring myself to do that. I cannot do that. I cannot do that because just sort of like put the pieces of the puzzle here together. I'm not a police officer. If you are, maybe you have additional insight into this. Um, not not a uh, uh, substance abuse counselor, not his manager. We've not heard from him either. But like, why would he be in the middle of a pandemic sitting on a street like intersection, uh, driving drunk, and then allegedly peeling off rounds? Um, like what has to, like if something, if everything is going right in your life, is that something you might do? Maybe, like maybe, maybe, maybe it was just a, things got a little bit out of hand. I suppose that's possible, but like, that's the thing I can overlook in your twenties. I'm much less tolerant of that in your thirties. And, and then just everyone's sort of like, Oh, John's messing up again, but this is not like partying too hard. It's, it's a lot of drinking, but I, I drink a lot. I don't ever get arrested. <laughs> Right? I mean, there's risk management and then there's risk, and that carries its own risk for health, but I don't ever get in trouble with the law because I don't play with that. Um, what has to what has to be happening where in your life that's a thing you would do, especially when you know you've got a family to look after and um, you've got a career to manage? It's just it's it's bizarre behavior, and it doesn't speak to things. Again, without being an expert in these fields, I, I, I want to be very clear. I'm, I'm merely speculating about what it could be. But it doesn't speak to everything being okay. And if it, in fact, if there's a bigger problem at home and that's what's really happening, um, then, uh, you know, I, I can't wish bad on him, man. And you might think, oh, he needs to be punished for this. Okay. You know, we'll let the courts and the other relevant authorities decide that, and that might be coming his way. And if it does, you can't feel sorry for him because he brought it on himself. But if he's really struggling with some kind of deeper issue, whatever that might be, I just, I can't, I can't do it. I can't get out there and just hammer the dude, you know, and I get the way that's not the way the internet works. And I get that he has done so much and said so many things for people not to trust him and then to make fun of him because he's, you know, he's talking about his relationship with Jesus and all this kind of stuff. I get it, dude. Believe me, I get it. I completely get it. But for me personally, if someone is suffering, which he might be, I can't I can't bring myself to, to, to crush him for it. In fact, I hope quite the opposite. I hope that whatever is hurting him, um, that, that he may find relief in a, in a healthy and, and uh, important way. And I know I'm probably going to have a hard time convincing everyone to agree to that. All I'm going to tell you is that's my position. That's it. How would Daniel Cormier, this person asks, matched up against the fighters John beat during his first title run? All right, well, let's look at that. So let's look up John Jones's wiki back when he was 21 and on top of the world. Still kind of on top of the world in certain ways. Um, 32 years old now, by the way. All right, so here was his initial run. So we're talking about post-Bader beating Shogun, right? So he beats Brandon Varish, Yabat uh, beats Bader at UFC 126, then turns around and beats Shogun 
at 128. By the way, like people don't talk about how awesome that was. Like him and Bader was supposed to be like a super hotly anticipated fight. He ran through him. And then against Shogun, two months later, two events later, no, not even two months later, uh, about a month later, about six weeks, and he goes in there and just bodied him and took the title. That was a ridiculous moment. Okay, so let's say Shogun, Rampage, Lyoto, Rashad, Vitor, Chael, Gustafson, Teixeira. I think he probably would have beat all of them. Now, maybe Lyoto would have been a little bit different, you know, back in the day. Um, obviously, he had a tooth and nail fight with Gustafson later, but like... Glover, yes, I think he would have beaten him. Chael, yes. Rashad, yes. Quinton was good back then, but not what he was in Pride. And then Shogun, yes. So I think he would have beaten just about... I mean, again, I think the only people that are going to beat Cormier at this point, he's in his 40s, are you know obviously Stipe and then John Jones. It's hard for me to imagine. Maybe Francis, if Francis has gotten a lot better and, and DC's really fallen off in his age. Hard to say. But like, you know, DC in his 30s, I think he would have ran through those guys too. So... That's why that Jones and DC rivalry is special. Again, we don't know. This is merely my own opinion, but yeah. I get the impression Angela Hill fits into the not many good guys, gals in MMA, but she is one of them. Yeah, she's great. Has this changed since organizing her Face the Pain video? <laughs> well, first of all, I don't think she organized it. I think because uh, they asked me to be in it, it was um, Casey and Esther, I think from uh, MMA fighting. I would have done it too. I just ran out of time. You know what, man? They're just out here trying to have a good time. Just out here being just out here being weird and screwy. Let them be. Look, the UFC just announced they're creating a 165-pound division. They did not, but this is an exercise. And they're starting the division off with a four-man tournament. Who would you put in the tournament and what brackets? A four-man? You could do much more than a four-man. Um, if you look on this on this YouTube channel... You can see I did a I did a 165 pound draft. Now, what does that mean? Imagine you look at all the top, let's say 20 155ers, and all the top uh, 20 170 pounders, and you, you you posit that there's going to be a 175 pound division, but you wanted to pull some from 155 to go up, pull some from 170 to go down. Could you do that and still maintain a strong degree of division integrity? And I'm not saying that this is the only answer, but this was the answer that we came to on my show which was that if you managed who migrated, if you, if you took control of that process, hang on, uh, if you took control of that process, then what we found was that um, you could do it. You could do it. If you just let everyone do what they wanted to do and everyone just dumped and left, I don't know how that would work. Maybe it would work, maybe it wouldn't. It's kind of hard to say, allowing for pure self-selection. But if you intervened and then monitored and controlled the process, well, now you're cooking with gas. And what we found was that you would still have very strong divisions um, if you picked sort of evenly between the other two. Now, if you're asking for a four-man tournament, I would say, who are some real tweeners? I would say Kevin Lee has to go on that. For sure, Kevin Lee has to go on that. I'd put RDA maybe in there. Um, maybe Khabib. You could even put Tony in there if you wanted to. Let me pull up the rankings so to get a better sense of this. Uh, let's see. I think you could argue and put Colby in there. So 155. Here's your. Top, let's go top nine to 11 on 15 rather on um, 155. So you've got you got. Let's see. Actually, we go a little further. We've okay outside top five. You got Cerrone, Felder, Oliveira, Iaquinta, Kevin Lee, Barboza, Fajeda. 
Gillespie, Makachev, Hernandez. Same side, you've got Burns, Maya, Chiesa, Dos Anjos, Nate Diaz, Robbie Lawler, Jeff Neal, Vicente Luque, Conor McGregor, Anthony Pettis. I mean, look, this is an easy call. You could do McGregor, you could do Diaz, you could do Masvidal if you wanted to go up that high. On the other side, you could do, as I mentioned, in addition to Kevin Lee, you could probably do, um, let's see, you could do uh, Cerrone. Um, there's a lot of different ways you could you could do this. So, to me, uh, it's an easy call. It's an easy call. You just have to manage the process. You have to decide up front that that's what you want to do. So, um, yeah, a lot, lot of different ways you could go with that. I, I was a skeptic. I was a skeptic about 165 until I actually went through the exercise and I saw what it looked like if you were careful about it. It looked pretty good. It looked pretty good. It's much better than you might imagine. Someone says, I went back and I watched some of Tony Ferguson's old tough fights. And I was surprised to see a lot of defensive fundamentals um, on display that he currently uses. Do you think his evolution into an insane pressure fighter came from the realization that he can out-chin and out-cardio even the most elite fighters? Yeah, probably. I mean, people have to discover themselves. It might also be he just likes competing that way, right? So in addition to getting great results, which he's gotten, it could also be the case that he feels like um, when I compete, I don't want to overly state it like I want to be happy per se, but like I'm most comfortable just doing it this way. Don't mind taking a few. I think I can, and I think it brings out other things in me that I just like. I like the way that I feel when I compete this way. I like the way how I perform when I compete this way. Um, I like my chances at getting a stoppage versus going to a decision. I mean, we'd have to ask, we'd have to talk to him directly and like show him tape and say what the changes were. But yeah, there could be a whole lot of factors there where he just feels like I get better results. I like, I feel better. Um, any number of factors. But I, I would say this, you know, Tony's got his own methodology. But his own methodology does not feel accidental, especially when it's a sustained kind of thing he's kept up. In other words, he might do things that he picks up by accident. But if he picks it up by accident, uh, and it could not be that way. It could be more intentional. But let's assume for the moment that it is. Oh, I did this thing in training and I really liked it. And it was all spontaneous. If he goes back to it, it means he really liked how he was feeling about it. And he's 37 years old and he's still got a chin like that. It's pretty good. Now, you could say, oh, it's eventually going to cost him. And it might. But... He's been on one of the best lightweight runs ever, and uh, not by accident, right? And 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 with all of these other considerations in mind. So perhaps that won't be enough to beat Khabib. I suppose we'll find out one way or the other here before too long, I guess. We'll see. Uh, but if he even if he gets it by accident, if he returns to it, it must mean there was something about it he really responded to. Again, someone says, good old Bones, back at it again. Thoughts on his most recent incident and how it might affect him or his fighting career once events pick back up? Well, that part is hard to know. It's hard to know about what kind of legal jeopardy he's actually going to be in. It's hard to know exactly what kind of legal jeopardy he's, um, what that might mean. I don't, you know, I tend to think if you're in one of these situations like this and you have a really good lawyer and it's not utterly calamitous what you did, in which case... You know, like, no one was killed, thank God, or no one was badly hurt, there was no accident. You know, I don't know that the law is going to be hammering him hard. Every time we thought it would, it just never did, so I just don't buy that. Um, 
it's so speculative. As I said yesterday, if he ends up facing jail time, but it's just a month, do they strip him? I doubt it. For what? For who? For a Reyes versus Blahovich fight? Maybe. That doesn't sound right to me. Um, the thing for me is like, you know, it's kind of amazing is that John has clearly achieved extraordinary heights. I mean, he might be the best to ever do it if, 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 he, if he's not already. And he's made a, probably a good amount of money, right? Whatever that ends up being, 10, 20 million uh, over time. I don't know. Somewhere between there, probably. To me, like, if he quit tomorrow, he would still be a raging success. To me, that's sort of not the issue. Like, the issue is not did he achieve extraordinary things. I mean, uh, yes, like, he clearly did. The question is, like, relative to what was possible, had he had a sort of a GSP approach to his personal and professional life, what could he have accomplished? And then you begin to say, like, wow, this dude might have been the best fighter ever while having law enforcement, potential sobriety issues the entire time. I mean, that, if you think about that, that is f unbelievable, right? The question is not what he achieved. He achieved a lot already. The question is, what else was there? And then you begin to say, you know, you can't call him a failure because he's never anything but. But I just wonder, like, did we really see the upper bound limit of his abilities? I tend to think we didn't, and I think we're past the point where he can show that now, actually. Um, as I've said, I, I believe if you look at his game today versus what it used to be, he used to be an offensive dynamo. And what he is today is he is very, very, he has good offense, and he's got a much more defined game around fundamentals, in particular defensively. He's got, I mean, he has lights out, excellent defense. He is so hard to hurt. Dominic Reyes talked about picking his poison against him. He's, you can't connect the guy, connect on the guy very easily on the head. He's hard to corner. You can't take him down. Or, you know, it's very, very difficult anyway. And he's really good about posting his long reach. He's really good about maintaining distance. So you have to kind of attack him to the body and to the legs. But that is not the kind of demonstrative uh, damage that judges more readily respond to. So, like, from the word go, you're up against it with him. From the word go, you're up against it. And uh, I think he's really kind of leaned into that, which is smart, like his defensive fundamentals. But offensively, I don't think, I don't think he, he is what he used to be. Um, I just think, you know, oh, he's only 32, 33. Right, well, he's been competing for since he was in his, you know, 20 or 21. Um you know, he's going to age out earlier than the rest of people who started like 25, 26. It's just the way it's going to go. So, especially with all the, the, you know, the miles and the damage and all the five-round fights. Um, so, you know, what do I make of it? There's no way to say it's like uh, what, the, these indiscretions are good things. They're, they're terrible things. Uh, and he, is, he has been a major success. He might be the best fighter ever. But it's like... You know, you begin to think, what about your what about the imagination you might have had about him going to heavyweight and what that would have meant? You know, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know this. Who knows why he doesn't want to go to heavyweight? But whatever his reasons, at this point, I'm not sure I blame him. You know, I don't think Francis is as technically fundamental a fighter as John. I don't know if I like John's chances as much as I thought I did. You know, in terms of securing the takedowns over time, in terms of 
being able to hurt Big Francis and Francis's reach and his power and his explosivity. I mean, that's a different fight than it used to be for me. I mean, I could be wrong about that. That's just my opinion. But, um, you know, whatever whatever is underlying that uncertainty, I'm not mad at it because I don't know that it's necessarily a good career choice for him. It would do things in terms of cementing his, his legacy, winning a belt in another weight class, that would obviously be good for him. But, you know, what about the risk of going up there and then losing and losing quite badly? What does that then do to your legacy, right? You could say, oh, well, he's a great slight heavyweight, but he, you know, all these other guys, Cormier included, were able to get two belts, two belts in two divisions, and he couldn't, you know, if, if something like that were to happen. Um, so, you know, where we're at now, I, I don't want to overstate things. I don't want to understate things. The guy's been an enormous success. But I often think about, did you, did he, you know, when, when GSP's career was over, you felt like you got the most he was able to give. When John's career, if it was, if it ended tomorrow, which it's not, but let's just say that it did, you felt like you got to witness uh, big parts of his greatness. But do you feel like you got to see the upper bound limit of him? Because I, I absolutely do not believe that. Someone says, uh, a person told me a Navy SEAL would beat a UFC caliber fighter in a street fight to the death 100% of the time. No weapons. I have no fight knowledge, but this sounds ridiculous to me. Am I correct in assuming that this is utter BS? Yeah. Whoever told you that's a fucking idiot. Um, understand what it means to be someone like a Navy SEAL, right? Yes, they're going to have hand-to-hand combative skills far in excess of the average person. But what makes them what they are is all of the other areas of expertise, of combat tactics, of weapons knowledge, of um, of orientation through difficult terrain, of you know anti-torture techniques, any of those kinds of things, which is going to preclude them from having a specialization in hand-to-hand combat per se. Like anybody who thinks that is just bought into too many too many fucking movies. They're going to get their ass whooped. Oh, probably 99 times out of 100. It's a silly thing to say. But the average Navy SEAL versus the average person in the street, the average Navy SEAL is going to absolutely destroy, like take their life with a quickness. So, you know, you just have to understand the relative. Or send UFC fighters out to go do a Navy SEAL's job in theater and see what happens. They're all going to die too, right? It's just a degree of specialization. Top UFC fights I want to see, this person says. But they just list names. Tony Khabib. Oh, yeah, sorry. They wrote it like names. Tony Khabib, number one. Masvidal Colby. Tyron Colby. Connor Gaethje. Poirier Diaz. Yeah, those are good ones. I'd add... Um, what would I add? I still want to see Stipe DC3. I would add. What would I add on the women's side? Man, that Wiley Zhang. I, you know, I kind of want to see a rematch of the Zhang versus Yoana fight, but I'm not convinced Yoana's. I'm not. I'm not saying she won't be. I'm saying it's a. It's the jury's still out, whether she'll be the same after a fight like that. We'll see. If she was, I would want to see that rematch. Um. What are some other ones? I want to see, obviously, Adesanya versus Costa. I want to see Adesanya versus Jones. I think that fight is way more competitive than people do. Um, I'd want to see Romero versus Costa, too. Five-rounder. Oh, God, that would be a brutal fight. Jesus. Um, Romero versus uh, Till. <laughs> right? 
you know, old Luke Skywalker facing down Darth Vader there a little bit. Um, what about that uh, bantamweight? Yeah, I want to see the return of Cody Garbrandt, see if he can get back on track. Man, I want to see Jan versus Cejudo, if he can get past Moraes. Um, if they're going to make Sterling versus uh, Cody... Uh, um, uh, uh, God, my brain is not working. Is it Cody or Corey Sanhagen? I think it's Cody Sanhagen, right? Fuck, Jesus, I can't even leave that to chance. My brain is... I mean, my daughter is just not sleeping, y'all. I'm not can't believe it all on her, but Corey Sanhagen. Jesus, sorry. So Sanhagen versus Sterling, tremendo. Um, da, 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 da. Yeah, those are some ones I got my eyes on. Definitely. I want to see Jones Reyes too, but you know we'll see how that goes. Ever heard of Xu Xiaodong? From my very limited reading, he's a Chinese MMA fighter that tried to debunk traditional Chinese martial arts. That has given him great problems with the Chinese government. Would be interested to hear your thoughts on it. I've, I've looked into this a little bit. So this guy is like basically fighting like monks or other sort of traditional martial arts dudes. And then when the you know when the round when the bells go and these guys line up like you know crouching tiger hidden dragon, he goes over there and hits him with the uppercut from hell and just beats the shit out of him. And apparently he has caused some problems in China because. I mean, I, I think there was some belief that maybe those guys would perform better than they did. But my, my understanding of it is that also what's happening now is he's just beating them up so badly that they're kind of considering him to be some kind of a bully, you know? And it's like, all right, dude, you made your point. Like, fucking lay off kind of thing. Uh, but it's hilarious that, like, that's his whole bit. He must know going into these, like, I'm going to beat the shit out of these guys, you know? Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that a little bit. Luke, the time is nigh, this person writes. How shameful of Dana was it to say, if I die, I die? Brushing off the seriousness of current government instructions. Also, well, sort of. Also, can you imagine the horror if Khabib or Tony contracted the virus as a result of the event, this person writes. I mean, look, here's my whole view on this whole thing. And I've, I've been fairly, I hope, has come across as consistent about it. I've see, I see that I have rattled some cages and ruffled some feathers in the process. Um... If you had told me when this whole thing had started, actually, actually, you know what? We can back up a step. If you had told me, like, Luke, what's the most resistance you're going to face to your worldview about certain things? And someone said, you know, your views on anti-doping. I'd be like, well, okay, that makes sense, right? I mean, this is a thing that's going to be very difficult to convince a lot of people of. There's a lot of different ways this could going to be hard for people to accept. I, I can, I can, I can understand a lot of the resistance I've gotten to things like that. Fair enough. If you had told me I'd have gotten resistance to, the, to this in the way that I am, like staging shows during a global pandemic, I would have told you you're out of your mind. I would have never believed it. Um, I mean, the only major problem I, it's not the only, but one of the major problems I have with this whole situation is the same problem I always have in MMA, which is I would like to have a discussion about what the discussion is principally about, not about anything else. People cannot simply, there can never seem to be in MMA an honest discussion about what the problem is, why we're facing it, and what the reasonable solutions might be. It is about everything other than that. It is about perceived media mendacity. It is about sleight of hand and arguments. It's about an argument that we don't even need to be having because it's not relevant. It's about everything it's not about. And so the issue is, like when Dana says things like, you know, if coronavirus gets me, I'm fine. That's a thing he can say for his life, I suppose. I certainly hope he does not get coronavirus or anyone he loves or knows or uh, I wish this thing would go away tomorrow. But even if you wanted to say this is a thing I don't mind taking on as a personal risk, it's simply that that's simply not the way the world or this virus works. It's not 
You don't get to control this virus on your terms. Not much anyway. The virus has a lot of say here. And the reality is uh, in engaging in interstate and overseas travel and with things getting stuck to cage floors or metal surfaces um, or even protective gear. Like my, my wife's um, uncle is a surgeon in Colombia and was recommending about you know mask protocol. You know, certain masks you don't want to wear because you can actually breathe in and then the virus will touch the mask and stick to the mask. And then you take the mask off. If you at all touch your face or anything else, you actually got it from the mask. And so when you begin to realize is it's, you know, people are going to be able to live their own lives for the most part about in what ways that they want. And I don't begrudge Dana White or anyone else that consideration. On the other hand, if, if in doing that, you are contributing to the uh, malaise of public health, during a very serious global pandemic, I just don't understand how you can say that that's responsible conduct. I cannot tell, nor would I ever tell Dana White to live his life uh, um, beyond those considerations. Like, do exactly what it is you want to do. Um, but make the claim. Make the claim that you can do that, and you can do that while being in keeping with public health recommendations. You simply cannot. You cannot. It's not, it's not possible. It's not possible. And so have a debate about what the debate is about. Is there any uh, uh, element of truth to the idea that while UFC has been very good and remains very good about being a revenue generator, right, um, that Endeavor is cash-strapped. They had that failed IPO last year. They're going to lay off, not in the UFC as it stands today, but inside Endeavor, 250 employees, um, uh, Ari Emanuel and Patrick Whitesell not taking any salaries, I think, for the remainder of the year. Um there's a big belief that they took out that $300 million dividend because they were cash-strapped. Uh, and so they were using, uh, Endeavor was, was using UFC as a way to cover for that. Are they being tasked, we don't know this, but are they being tasked to keep up the shows because Endeavor is worried about their finances when they have to publicly service this debt, this $4.6 billion debt, and they have no liquidity, they have no cash, right, on hand other than what the UFC could provide. Is that the reason? Like, these are the, these are the real terms, of the debate. And I know people have gone up there and they've said negative things about me and they had all manner of mean things on social media. You notice what they are never really able to do, which is tell me why a, it was okay to do no COVID-19 testing in Brasilia. And then ostensibly that was the plan for UFC London. Now they might've done some in Las Vegas. You had Francis Ngannou saying he got tested thumbs up. That's great news. But his uh, opponent for UFC Columbus was supposed to be Jair Zinho Rosenstruck. He did not receive the same treatment. So I don't know why that is, but he didn't. But So we still have this sort of lack of clarity about that. Um, and here's sort of the other part about all of this. It's like, oh, we respond to what the government tells us to do, which is true. If you look at the existing guidelines on the book, the UFC is very much in the compliance business, I think, as Chael Sonnen said. Who would ever argue otherwise? But you literally have a situation now, and I've talked to other regulators in some of the other states, but certainly, let's take Nevada, for example. They can't even meet to come up with protocol around COVID-19. And even if they could meet, I don't think they know what the right answer would be because you would have to have a fight take place in an area where the relevant hospital would not be under siege from a, a excess of cases. You would have to have somebody clean the surface all the time for the cage, to the floor, to the mats, to everything else. You would have to have um, testing you know, virtually... Uh, you know, around the clock. And if you had it, you'd have to have triage centers. I had a conversation with Dr. Margaret Goodman today. Um, I'm going to have it on my radio show later. She basically said at this juncture, it is not possible to do a safe show. 
but they can do it because they're no, they're, they can say we're in compliance with the government while not also acknowledging that the reason they're in compliance with the government is because these various government entities have neither had the time nor the understanding of what the regulation should be as it relates to COVID-19. So look, man, people can say whatever they want about me. They can call me any manner of names. They can ascribe whatever bad faith intentions to my arguments that they want. I don't care about any of that, and I would strongly encourage you not to as well. Look at the arguments they are making and assess them for what they are. And what you will find in every way is that putting on shows during a global pandemic, it is irresponsible. Flat out. There is no medical argument you can make in its favor. None. It's just not possible. It can't be done. Cannot be done in conjunction with what we know about the virus. Show me, show me a public health expert, show me an immunologist, show me a virologist, show me these guys that say they can do that show safely. They can make sure that the people there, that there, what does that mean to be safely, that you could not spread this COVID-19 uh, situation uh, at an event. It cannot be done, it, which isn't to say that it will necessarily happen. It's all a function of risk. Uh, and you think, well, no fans will keep the risk low, but that at its current juncture, we don't know how low that is. We don't know if you can carry, there are, there's belief you can carry it, not test positive, and then the next day you could still, uh, sorry, you could carry it, not test positive, the next day you could carry it, test positive, but have no symptoms, right? I mean, there's all manner of ways. And by the way, if you get immunity, how long does it last? Is it like the chicken pox, where it's for life, or like other diseases where it's not necessarily that case? We just don't know. And so what Dr. Margaret Goodman told me, who's been involved in combat sports for decades, uh, she said, it's not that we can never come to a position where we can figure this out. Here is my argument. When a state athletic commission from California, Nevada, or maybe New York, I'd even throw in there, especially New Jersey, when one of these states comes up with protocol about how to do a show while dealing with the COVID-19 situation, and they lay out protocol, I have no doubt UFC will do that and match everything that is said in there. Until such a time, they should not be running shows. And using the absence of government oversight in a moment where they have no opportunity to do that, to me is not a strong argument. Not being able to tell the world where your show is because you're f afraid that there'll be media questioning about the responsibility of doing a show during a global pandemic. I mean, Normally, when you put on a show, you want to broadcast to the world where it's going to be because you're proud of that fact. If you now have to hide it, I, my, my, my hunch is the fact that the media is able to make anything from that is because of some other underlying reason. The media by itself couldn't just say it's bad to do a show in Chicago. Why would it be bad to do a show in Chicago or Dallas or Fort Lauderdale or Miami? Right. So understand this always happens in MMA. It's going to happen to me because I push against the grain more than most. And by the way, the lack of, there's been some media members who have said something about it, but the ones who are quiet, total cowards in this moment. I mean, if you're not going to speak up now because you're worried about your career, you're a fucking pathetic coward. And that goes to anyone else at MMA media who is looking at this. You're fucking pathetic. Um, your whole job, like this is what, this is when it, this is what it comes down to right here. And most of the MMA media is just built for, well, if there are fights, we cover them. And we, you know, we write up what people say in interviews, and then that's it. We don't ever question the larger surroundings. Total abdication of responsibility. Total abdication. Now, of course, that doesn't apply universally, but to the ones it does, you're pathetic. Um, but again, 
have the argument about what the argument is about. Tell me why without government protocol about what effective regulation looks like around COVID, you feel um, that you can still safely do that and do a show. Show me how that you have cleaning protocol around all these surfaces, quarantines, triage centers, international travel. Show me how you can have international travel without endangering that fighter, or if the fighter gets it, then who they can then give it to. Make the argument about what the argument is about, not about everything it's not about. Is the argument about whether or not Endeavor needs money and so they're leaning on UFC to continue operations. That's This is where the argument begins and ends. And everyone else saying everything else, it's because they don't have good arguments. They don't have ideas that support um, strong cases. That's it. It's, it's, it's just, it's, it's, very, it's very simple. It's very simple. It's not about lashing out at Dana White. It's not about lashing out at UFC. It's just about asking really basic questions. And what you find is when you ask them and then you look at what the evidence is and what the experts have to say about it, um, their case for what they're doing is very poor. It is not strong. And they cannot defend it, so they don't really try. Just what you wonder what you thought of Gordon Ryan's latest Instagram post. Yeah, I like Gordon a lot. I actually find him to be a pretty sharp thinker when it comes to uh, BJJ. I'll just say this. I hope he reconsiders. I like I like Gordon. I don't have anything bad to say about him personally. Um, whenever I've dealt with him, he's been a total pro. I do think he's a very smart guy. I think he's very much misguided on some of this stuff. Um, but I don't think attacking him is going to get him to change. Um, I, if you know, if I get if I get an opportunity to have a dialogue with him, I would. Um, so you know, not, naturally, I disagree. But again, it's like what, what's the art? Let's have let's have a let's have a conversation about what the conversation is principally about, not about the smoke and mirrors around it. Hi, Luke. Over the past two and a half decades or so since the UFC has been around, how do you think MMA has positively and negatively changed over the years? Man, that's a big question. Um, how do you think MMA has positively and negatively changed over the years? I think positively, certainly it's become more lucrative. Positively, it's become more entrenched in the mainstream. I think in general, the regulation's gotten better. Um, those are all pretty good things. I think fighting has certainly advanced far beyond uh, what it was. I think on the negative side, you know, I hope you guys saw this in the Caro and Diego exercise. You know, I kind of liked it when guys used their guard to stand up more. <laughs> I thought MMA was better when that happened, to be honest with you. I get that putting your back to the fence and learning how to wall walk is better for outcomes, either the outcome of standing or then the outcome of what it means if you can do that over the course of a fight. I, I get that. I actually get that, but like to the observer, I don't know. Like, I I sort of thought it was cool to watch guys use a guard to get themselves space and to stand. That was a, that was a fun thing, man. That was a fun thing to watch. So, while the overall advancement in fighting, I don't think could be denied, some of the particular aspects of fighting have been a bit of a like mount. As I've said a long time, mount's a lost art. You know, submissions not what they once were. Guards not what they once were. Um, striking has gotten a lot better. That's a good part. You know. Wrestling's gotten way better. Overall tactics have gotten better. Um, like fighting has definitely gotten better, but there are certain pieces of fighting that I think have been lost along the way that I just thought made for more interesting combat. Um, I also think the homogenization of fighting has gotten a little bit much. Like 
I would love to see if somebody could get a commission to sanction um, somebody fighting in a gi. I know the UFC would never do that, but if Bellator ever experimented with that, I've got a piece coming out on Hidehiki Yoshida because I just feel like, I mean, if you could finish someone in like what what's, okay, I know a lot of you guys don't like the gi, but let's say, let's talk about some of the benefits of the gi. There's many. It can slow a fight down a little bit, but one of the other benefits is it it, it enhances, like every takedown you have Without the gi, you have in the gi plus other takedowns. Um, some of my favorite takedowns in the gi, the sucker drag, is like one of my favorites. It's an easy one to get. Um, and think about it also, like whatever submissions you have without the gi, you've got them all in the gi plus more. So, you know, would I love to see a fight finished um, with a bow and arrow choke? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would. I think that'd be awesome. I think it'd be cool as hell to see, you know, a double lapel choke. I mean, if you got someone's back in an MMA fight, dude, they're in deep trouble if they're wearing a gi. And they're, uh, Yoshida, again, I have to go back and look at the rules, but there would be rules about could people grab his gi or not, or if they could, what would it be? But to me, it's like if you're going to fight in the gi, they can absolutely grab your gi. Um, and there's so much you can do with that. You wouldn't even have to have a gi. You could just have a double lapel choke, and you could have a cross choke from mount. It would just it would open up a lot more offense than I think folks realize. And so I think the lack of homogenization, sorry, the lack of heter- well, I should say the homogenization of the game has been a little bit tiresome. Um, but in general, it's gotten better. I mean, you can't say it hasn't because it has. Rank in order which of these fighters would benefit most from moving up in weight. Okay, so the five, let's see, one, two, three, four, five fighters are Zabit Magomed Sharapov, Paulo Costa, Kevin Lee, Tyron Woodley, Sean O'Malley. I put O'Malley at the bottom of the list because I don't think he needs to move up in weight. I would put um, Zabit next. I think he can do it. I think he can win at this weight class, but certainly tough on him. I'd put Paulo next because I think he's. Still could win the championship without it. I'd put, um, well, I'd maybe even Woodley before that because Woodley already won a title. I would have Lee at the top. So I guess I'd have Lee, Paulo, Woodley, Zabit, O'Malley, something like that. How would you feel about a Charles Oliveira, Carlos Diego Fajeda matchup? Um, how would I feel about it? Be a great fight. Yeah, it'd be a great fight because Diego Fajeda has good jiu-jitsu and can strike a little bit too. And and now Charles can strike a little bit too. Yeah, that'd be a great fight. It'd be a great fight. Sure. I'd love it. Lightning round. Who would win in these theoretical matchups? Fedor versus DC. Like prime Fedor? Uh... Prime Fedor. I'd still say DC, but like Prime Fedor was competing in an era where MMA wasn't as advanced. So for his era, he was way advanced. But DC probably, I I would still give it to him. Anderson Silva versus Darren Till. Uh, Silva. Gina Carano versus Megan Anderson. Megan. Uh, Shogun Hua versus Dominic Reyes. Ooh, in their primes no less. Maybe Shogun. That's a tough one. Dominic is is a very good fighter. 
BJ Penn versus Khabib. Yeah, that's the big one. That's the big one. I'd probably still say Khabib, but that's a big one. Only because Khabib could get him tired, you know? That's the big issue there. Penn had lights out takedown defense. He could box you up and everything else, and his jiu-jitsu was sick. But he got tired, you know? So maybe Khabib. Th those last two are tough. Because I think Dominic Reyes is a superb fighter. I could see him beating Shogun. Uh, even a prime one. Just because Shogun, what he was for his era, was so dominant in ways that Reyes has not been for his era. But because the game has so sped up in terms of the ability, he just sort of wins by default. BJ Penn versus Khabib. That's the tough one. I'd probably go Khabib, but that's a tough one. That's a tough one, man. What things would you debate Ben Shapiro on? Oh, God. Who gives a shit? Uh, with MMA having some forced time off, seems like a perfect time to put on, put in or modify some new rules, specifically weight cutting. In all seriousness, why can't the UFC just require fighters to weigh in just prior to the match like an IBJJF and also require hydration tests to ensure no unsafe cutting is being done? The fighters will adjust eventually. will create movement in and essentially new weight classes. Seems like now would be a good time to make the switch. Again, you couldn't do mat side weigh-ins because... Um, even, even with the hydration testing, they'd still be somewhat drained and with mat side weigh-ins. You would want them to be as rehydrated as possible. Mat side doesn't get you that, even with the hydration testing. Because yes, you're like, oh, well, they wouldn't do it to unsafe degrees. Right, but they'd be right up against it, which almost means the same thing. So you, you could limit what they would lose, but you, would, you wouldn't even want to have that. You would want to have them by the time they're fighting, fully rehydrated, or in as much as possible, that doesn't get you there. Hi, Luke. Uh, big support from Serbia. Question is, how many times will John Jones mention his Lord Jesus in his interview regarding the recent incident? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I can guarantee you the interview probably won't be with me, right? Um, look, man, that's what I said. It's like, you know, I said in the video yesterday, oh, Luke, what's it going to take? Bad publicity, blah, blah, blah. It's like, here's what it'll take. He just has to want it. And so he'll come out. Who knows what he'll say, man? I don't know. Maybe he'll say stuff like that again. I, I don't really, I, I never pay attention to it, and I never ever put much stock in it. I know he gets a lot of, um, he gets beat up for it a little bit because of the seeming hypocrisy of it all. That's for fans to decide, As a, a, just from my, van, from my view yeah, I just I don't I don't ever pay attention to it. So I just don't care, you know. And it's not like I'm trying to demean it if he it puts sincerity behind it. It's just not the kind of thing I think ultimately I should focus on. What you focus on is what is your record say and what look what are you actually doing? People, this is why I don't do a lot of interviews anymore, dude. Because people will just say whatever they want, and even if they like mean it at the time, they might say something and actually mean it, but then. Like, they, they can't live up to it. And so they weren't even lying to you, but they were never really telling the truth either. Not to themselves, you know? And so I just, I've, I come, I, I'm not saying I've lost all interest in interviews. Like, I had two interviews today. I did one with Patrick Wyman. That's coming out. That'll be cool. And I did one with uh, Dr. Margaret Goodman. Like, I find those to be helpful. Um, and there are some fighters I really enjoy talking to. I really like talking to Israel Adesanya. I really like talking to some, you know, there's a bunch of other ones too, I suppose. But, like, this general thing of, like, let's just talk to fighters all the time. Why? Why? A lot of times they don't want to do it. A lot of times um, they're not going to be honest with you or the audience by virtue of necessity probably because they don't want to say certain things, you know, to ruffle feathers here or give away secrets there or whatever. It's just it, there's so much that goes into it that's not sincere. And I don't mean like insincere from uh, an evil standpoint. That's not exactly what I'm saying, although sometimes it can be that too. 
it's it's a lack of sincerity based on even just need to camouflage. Like I have seen people tell me stuff in private this week about some concerns they have, uh, fighters and coaches, and then I've seen you know about this whole situation, and then I've seen them go out and do media, and the media looked nothing like it. So it's like what's the, what's the point, man? You know what's the point? I just someone else wants to do that, and it's very lucrative to do that, right? But I'd rather be less lucrative and then do shit that I feel like is much more sincere. Like, this is not as lucrative as a bunch of other things I could be doing, but I feel it's a lot more sincere. Just my opinion. Oh, my God. Hold on. There's a thing here at my house beeping. How are people still a fan of John Jones at this point? This person writes, I mean, it to be one thing if he was really in his 20s, but he's in his 30s and he has like eight kids. I think it's eight kids. I think it's like three or four. And going around driving wasted and firing guns, allegedly. As a, fa- as a recent father, what do you think of this behavior? It concerns me. It concerns me, man. It's not normal, dude. I don't care what anybody says. It's not normal. Like, and it's one thing to, like, be on a, you know, I've had a bunch of friends who were, you know, they were country folk, right? And on their own property, parked cars is hanging out, pyramid of cans and the uh, pale moonlight, right? You know, as the song goes. And they're out there just shooting and drinking. Like, that, that to me, I've seen. I'm not, I don't think it's a great idea. But, you know, if you're just camping out or whatever, like, not the way I would spend my time, but I kind of get it. But, like, do it in the middle of a, a city, Allegedly, in the middle of a pandemic, it's like, what? It just doesn't make any sense uh, for normal behavior. And so on that level, I'm just like, I don't get this shit at all, dude. I don't get it at all. So I don't know, man. It's weird. It concerns me. I hope he's okay. You know, I hope he's okay. Fact or fiction, Travis Brown will fight for the title in 2012. All right, that's stupid, but it's funny. Thoughts on the Ashley Evan Smith situation? Fuck. Good Lord. I didn't really follow it that closely, and I guess the last thing I saw was Ashley Evan Smith, I think had worked it out with the person who allegedly had her shit stolen. Um, I don't know. Maybe they stole it and felt bad about it later. Maybe Ashley Evans Smith... Um, maybe what she's telling is the truth. You know, I tend to not really find her account of it particularly convincing, but if all's well, that ends well, you know, I don't know. Not, not, not a great look. I'll put it that way. Not a fucking great look, you know, stealing medical supplies. If that's what happened, oh, we mistakenly took it and then it gets returned, but some of the shit's missing and then, you know. There's like this Instagram, how'd it go? There was an Instagram back and forth. And then um, I guess they eventually worked it out. Or I don't know if all the shit was, I think some of the stuff was returned or most of it was in the end. It seemed like, to be honest, public shaming was a big part of that. But 
I'll just say this, man. I have found, and I don't know if it applies to the situation as directly as it should, but I have found in this community, like, dude, we're all fallen. You know, you think I'm some fucking paragon of virtue? Far from it. I make a million mistakes all the time, and there's a lot of my professed ideals I have a hard time with. I think it's sort of the nature of being human. But then I feel like I look at my struggles and, you know, of things I'm trying to do to, to, to be a responsible person, a good friend, a you know, a good husband, a good father, all those things. And, you know, you're never going to be perfect in any of them, right? You'll be forever imperfect in all of them. And then, but then I see some of my struggles, like it would never, <laughs> it would never occur to me to take medical supplies. And if I took them, the first thing I would do would be to return them immediately. If I somehow accidentally ended up with them. Um, and I just, you know, or, you know, for, how about this situation where the Andrea Lee, her, you know, her husband comes out and the dude had to get Nazi tattoos because he's in prison, which I don't judge him for. Like, dude, you got to do what you got to do to get by in prison. Cool, man. And then he gets out and he just, you're just going to rock with the Nazi, tat, Nazi tattoos. And then MMA media is like, yo, that's real fucked up. And everyone's like, bro, you don't know what it's like to be in prison. You're right. I don't, but you're not in prison anymore. So fix it. In, in other words, people beat up on John Jones for all his various indiscretions and Lord knows I'm not here to get in your way for it. Like, I just know it's going to happen. But there's just a tolerance in MMA. Not as much. There's a tolerance for bad behavior in MMA. Um, there just is. There's people who are outraged by what she did, which I was glad to see, uh, or allegedly had done, whatever, whatever the facts of the case are. But there are also a lot of people who are like, yeah, I don't care. No big deal. You know, oh, we're going to put on fights in the middle of a global pandemic. Like, y'all, y'all think that's responsible? Like, as fans, just as fans, y'all think that's responsible. You can, do you think you can actually do that? Because you know you can't. Like, these other leagues, they, they are different. They're not the same, but, um, they're not so radically different that they're, we are utterly divorced from all those same concerns. You can't do it. You cannot do it safely based on what we know right now. You can't. And you just have to say that out loud, man. And so if that's your North Star, which there is a shitload of evidentiary weight in favor of, when you see people being like, eh, you know, I don't really care, and then they're just going to roll on with it, or fans are just like, yeah, it's cool, I really want to see Tony Khabib. It's like, Dude, what the fuck are your priorities, man? What are your what, what? Where is your head at right now? Like, I, if Tony Khabib happened on the 18th, I, I, yeah, I guess I would watch it because it's my job on some level. But you know, would I would be thinking about that the whole time? I don't know, man. It just doesn't feel like there's a there's a certain moral relativism inside this community that is troubling at times. Hi, Luke. Uh, this person writes, uh, thoughts on, on the more recent trend of interconnecting in totality, reading and with listening. It's common nowadays for someone to have claimed to have read a book, for example, but in fact, they only listen to it in audio form. While I completely see the value and the benefit of listening to an audio book, I think it's important to acknowledge that reading is, a, is different than listening, though not necessarily better or worse. This trend sort of breaks my heart. While Ray Bradbury envisioned a future where books are outlawed and burned, was that Fahrenheit 451? It seems that we are neither heading to a future where good books will still be around, but perhaps just on shelves collecting dust. This may be an exaggeration, but reading, among other things, seems to be getting redefined as well. Right. Okay. I think your general point is well taken. The only caveat I would have there is that I know a lot of people that just learn differently. Some people, some people learn experientially. Some people learn by visual aids. Some people learn by audio aids. And so... 
there's going to be a, probably a, a fair chunk of people who, if they read the book versus if they listened to the book on walks or just at the park one day, they actually got more out of the other format. And I think you need to always open up to that. Plus, they might, I know this is the case for me. I'll have books that I'm like, okay, it's a priority to read this book. This book I can just listen to. And so I'm still reading, complementing what I'm doing with that other stuff. So I know what you mean. There's people who've just completely substituted one for the other because it's kind of easy to do one or the other. I would say, A, they're still doing something. I get your point. It's not as good as reading. But people learn differently, and then they can also complement their reading load by doing that stuff too. So it's not all doom and gloom. Do you think instead of having a judges panel for fights, they created a scoreboard and gave points for certain successful maneuvers, e.g. a jab? So look on my um, uh, on my website here on this YouTube channel, and I did an interview with Jeff Blatnick. God bless Jeff Blatnick, Olympian, the whole nine yards, one of the guys who was a pioneer in MMA, uh, commentator, Came up with some of the rules. Just a brilliant man. He died years ago. I did an interview with him at Beat the Streets in 2012, and I asked him this very question. Because in wrestling, you know, you get certain, you know, what was it, one point in freestyle for a pushout, or in, in uh, folk style, one point for the escape, two for the takedown, right? And uh, I asked him, why not just do that in MMA? He said, because you're mixing so many different rule formats and so many different systems, you need to allow for creativity. He said it would ruin MMA. It would actually turn it into something you would not want it to be. You want it to be free and open. And that makes it more complicated to judge, and it makes it more complicated to understand, but it ultimately makes it more beautiful. And I think he's right. I think that's actually the right way to look at it. I think that's that's probably going to be true. So, um, so I'm going to go that direction. I think that's the answer on that one. Someone says, uh, the greatest impact the current lack of sports has had on me is not missing the general excitement that comes from watching sports, but rather the significant change it had on my routine. I would watch certain ESPN shows after work each day. I should be sucked into March Madness right now and multiple weekends in a row of no UFC events. It's just strange. Besides the impact uh, this has, uh, of course, had on your work life, what impact has the lack of sports had on your personal life, if at all? Well, I'm filling it with other projects, like I told you guys. Man, I'm focused. I'm focused, y'all. I'm focused on books, on projects, on getting this other... Uh, viewing angle set up on a lot of different shit. I am I am dialed in. Um, maybe too many, to be honest with you. I probably have to pair some of it back. But um, So that's one. I have filled it. I'll say this, though. You know, Brian Campbell and I, tomorrow night on Showtime, well, we're not going to be on Showtime, but Showtime is airing. Um, there were four Vasquez Marquez fights, but the first three were just some of the best. I mean, y'all, I know what kind of fights in boxing that MMA fans like. This is that shit, Okay. If you got Showtime or you want to try it for free, fucking A, please do that. Vasquez, Marquez, 1, 2, and 3 are incredible fights. And one of the things that I, I had suggested was, they were going to air it at this time anyway, but my thought was, you know, put it on at a time that fight fans were expecting fa fights to be on on Saturday. Like, to your point, they have a routine, 9 or 10 o'clock. They're kind of parked in front of their laptop or their TV, and they're watching fights. So let's give them that. And then Brian Campbell and I are going to do an additional kind of digital, uh, we're calling it classic combat, sort of companion show that everyone can join us with and we can all interact with. Like, dude, you want to talk about fights that obviously boxing fans already know about. If you're an MMA fan, I cannot overstate how fucking awesome those fights were. They are incredible. Two guys built for each other. And so you're right. The whole plan was let's, 
like when they do these marathons, I know the marathon on ESPN had done great ratings, but my thought was, and I said this to Showtime, let's put on fights when fights are normally on. You know, I know it might be older ones, and you got to play with that a little bit, but they've got, you know, Showtime's got access to old Mike Tyson fights and stuff. Like, they got a huge catalog. Put them on at a time when fight fans are expecting it. Let's, in the case of me and Brian, add a digital component to that. And so it's not the same. It'll never be the same as, you know, brand new fights happening. But I do think it begins to keep alive some of those traditions. I mean, they're tradition, right? You know, maybe you have your own beverage tradition. You like your Eagle Rare bourbon. You like your popcorn if you're watching a movie. You like like to grill out on fight day. You get to keep alive some of those things a little bit. And I I get that, man. That's part of your life. That's part of your routine. It makes you happy. So hopefully, uh, not just Showtime, but ESPN and Fox and everybody else, to the extent possible, can do that kind of a thing. And... um, you know, keep keep the flame burning a little bit. Dana says he wants to build the most badass card of all time. What would be your main card? Oof, uh, that would feature feasible fights for two forty nine. I, I don't even like. There are no feasible fights for two forty nine. None. None. Two forty nine is not. I mean, you can do it, but in accordance with um, health and safety concerns around COVID nineteen, you cannot. Period. You cannot do that. So, there you go. Uh, let's see. Who are five of your favorite stand-up comedians? I've been watching comedy specials to help keep my spirits up. Would love to hear your take. Oh, this is okay. This should be easy. Um, Doug Stanhope, I think, is the best comedian alive. By and I don't even think there's a close second. And there's some good ones. There's Lapelle. There's Rock. There's you know, um, God, you know, anybody out there who's doing good work. Nobody does work. Like Doug Stanhope. Nobody. Nobody. There is nobody who does work. I mean, Doug Stanhope has the life that I want, which will sound kind of crazy to Doug Stanhope, who seems to be bored with life. But what I mean is the following. He doesn't go to comedy clubs like Yuck Yucks or Bananas or fucking Chuckles anymore. He doesn't do that. Over time, what he did was he built a hardcore audience. And he's booking... I saw him at um, a pool hall in Fredericksburg, Virginia one time. I've seen him. I've seen him a couple times. Saw him there and somewhere, I forget what the other part was where I saw him, but here's the point. He doesn't go to traditional venues, he keeps up a mailing list, and people who want to see him only go to see him. And so he never has to like worry about, if I do this comedy, will I get on The Tonight Show? If I do this kind of comedy, is this going to ruin my Netflix special? Like All that shit does not, oh, Bill Burr's another one I like, um, does not give a shit at all. Doesn't care because he is completely divorced from that economy. He has created his own economy. That is what I want to do. I want to be divorced from the traditional MMA economy. And I'm not there yet. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it'll take to get there. But that's my goal. My goal is to have my own economy separate from that one. Because it will free you up to do the kinds of content you want to do. It just it just, it just is. I, I, it gives you a more direct relationship with your audience. There's a lot of benefits to it. So Doug Stanhope, one. Two, Patrice O'Neill. Fucking miss Patrice O'Neill every day, dude. I saw Patrice O'Neill, and I'm not exaggerating, maybe 50, 60 times in my life. I lived in New York City in 2002, 3, and 4 for a time. Uh, and that was when it was him, Burr, Keith Robinson, Nick DiPaolo, Colin Quinn, uh, Jim Norton, you name it. And these guys were at, and if you guys have ever been in the village in New York City, they were at the Comedy Cellar. Every fucking night. And if they weren't at the Comedy Cellar, they were at Boston Comedy Club, which is just around the corner from the pizza spot down there in the village in New York. 
and it was I mean, every time I went there, it was just killer shit after killer shit. And Patrice O'Neill, dude, when Patrice O'Neill walked in the room, and I think Bill Burr said this, you know, they would always, so if you'd ever been to the, the Comedy Cellar, it's a famous venue in New York City. It's literally in a cellar. And up top of it, it was a Middle Eastern restaurant. I don't know for sure if it still is. I haven't been back in years. But um, these guys, you would go up to the Middle Eastern restaurant. You could just go there without going to the Comedy Cellar. And in the back, you'd always see the comedians hanging out. I one time saw Jerry Seinfeld and Dave Chappelle all hanging out together back there. And, uh, and they would always say it didn't matter who was back there. <laughs> when Patrice showed up and sat down, daddy's home. Daddy's home. Because they were all busting each other's balls. And no one had off the top of his head comedy like Patrice. He was utterly brilliant, totally unique. And again, Patrice said something that I've really thought about for a long time, which was when I go to shows, I do not want to have 100% applause. I want to have like 90% applause, but I want to piss off 10% because that tells me I'm doing something that is a little bit artistic and on edge and uh, maybe, you know, maybe ahead of its time, but you know, you're out there pushing boundaries if you're pissing off people too. That is exactly how, uh, I don't want to say it's exactly how I've modeled my career because that's not true, but I've thought about that. I've thought about what that means when you sort of curry an audience, you know, I'd rather have a deeper connection to 90% of people than the sort of superficial popular one where I'm required to give up something in terms of my views to appeal to you. And Patrice was utterly unapologetic utterly unapologetic and you know he was misogynistic and everything else too but he always had this totally unique worldview where you knew it was his idea and only his idea and he was fucking brilliant i i miss patrice o'neill every day dude so he'd be one well, that's two so doug patrice uh bill hicks you know bill hicks was preachy i realized that probably you know somewhat overrated as a comedian because they held him up to be like oh was he the best ever well maybe he's not the best ever but Another one of these guys who was trying to do something different and learned and marching to the beat of his own drum and you know, total command of an audience, just absolutely sensational. True TV did a documentary on him narrated by Janine Garofalo. If you've not seen it, you got to see it. Um, and there's a New Yorker profile on him. I've read some of his uh, the books written about him. Uh, yeah, I have right there, Love All the People, the Bill Hicks book. Um, you know, tragically dying in his early 30s after being edited on going on um, on the, uh, not the Tonight Show, it was the competitor, well, he, he savaged Jay Leno. You ever heard of his Jay Leno thing where Jay Leno commits suicide and he's such a corporate shill that when he puts a gun in his mouth and blows his brains out, his brains form the version of an NBC peacock on the wall? Um, so Bill Hicks is one. It was on, uh, who's the Letterman? When Letterman went on there and like... No one had edited anyone on on stage like that on American television since Elvis shaking his hips, and he died of cancer soon after that. Bill Hicks was a big one. Uh, Richard Pryor, probably the best stand-up comedian I've ever seen. One of the most brilliant uh, speakers on race relations in America, but still being funny, of course, the whole time. Um, just a total, total uh, command of the medium in every way possible, the way he spoke. Um, his physical mannerisms, dealing with drug abuse the way that he did, you know, just live this life hard um, uh, and, you know, prolific for a time anyway as well. People forget about his movie with Gene Wilder. Was it uh, Hear No Evil, See No Evil? One was blind, one was deaf, and they had to work together. Uh, Richard Pryor, just truly one of the greats. Um, for my fifth choice... 
Maybe Bill Burr? For a time, I would have said Nick DiPaolo. I really liked old Nick DiPaolo stuff, but he's sort of gone on. The, he's become really angry about the state of politics. But his old, his old, uh, <laughs> his old comedy is fucking hilarious. He has this one bit where he's like, you "Ever notice, like in every sitcom, the dad is the idiot. Like the mom is the genius, the dad is the idiot, and the kids are all smarter than the dad." And he goes, and it's he goes, it's leaked into commercials too, you know, because there was a commercial for AOL, and it's like uh, AOL. So easy, dad could do it. And he's like, oh yeah, dad could do it? You mean the guy that bought the fucking computer? That guy? Um, I, I, I know old Nick DiPaolo was really great. Really great stuff. I, I just like people, man, that you know were brilliant and smart and funny, but just very, very uh, anti-mainstream kind of spirits. Because it's the only way to do things that you really believe. You know, It's just the only way. But you could you could flirt with the mainstream a little bit, of course. You know, get that money when you can. But uh, in general, the best comedians are the ones that really ran up against it. For me. All right. Um, let's get to these questions of yours, if we can. All right. And remember, all donations will go to um, to charity from now and, and through April twenty fourth. All right, Luke, do you think that Tony Khabib and Connor would match up versus the prime BJ Penn? Who would you favor in those fights? Khabib, yes. Tony, yes. Connor's an interesting one because you could see Connor knocking him out, but both guys get tired. If BJ wrestled him, it'd be I think it'd be a nightmare for him. But again, it's like it's hard to explain. It's like the game is advancing so much that even one or two generations ago was like really behind. Really behind. Uh, hi, Luke. How do you think Wiley Zhang would pose a bigger threat to Valentina Shevchenko than the current list of 125? Too small. Too small. So it says it's donk time. Yes, it is. Uh, do you like Kyle Kalinske or other political people? I do like Kyle a lot, actually, yeah. Another guy just sort of says what he's going to say and then has developed his own audience as a consequence. And it's so, it's so immunizing to do that, right? To just have a direct relationship with the audience. I think that's the key here. Have you ever had any road rage stories or fights? Never. I mean, I've seen I've seen some fights. Oh God. I was getting before I became an MMA uh, media full time. This was on. Um, if you know anything about DC, this was K Street, and Eighteenth Northwest. So if you know anything about D.C., that's like business district. Lobbying offices, just regular accounting offices. Just like everyone wearing business cash. You know, hard to get lunch because everything is full at that time. That kind of thing. Just total business district, right? I was with my girlfriend at the time, who's not my wife. We were getting lunch. And we walked outside, and this dude hit this other guy. He kind of rear-ended him. Not hard, but enough to cause some visible damage. The dude who... Uh, so who got hit here? Who went to? Oh yes, the dude who got hit looked to be like what I call off-white. Like he was white, but not exactly. You couldn't quite tell where he was from. And the dude in the back was this African American dude. The dude who got hit gets out and, without saying a word, grabs the other dude by the collar and then shoves him up against his throat like rape choke style on the car. And I was like, ooh, 
Like, what is happening there? And then he yells at him something. I couldn't quite tell because at that point, like, I was facing this way and it was to the right of me. So I'm looking over this way. And so the guy had his back turned. He was yelling something frantically. And he was all hairy. So I'm, I was thinking, like, Turkish, like Persian, <laughs> maybe Greek, something like that, right? Just one of these dudes who doesn't give a fuck, okay? And uh, he lets go of the African-American dude who's getting back in his car. The door's open, and he's calling someone. So I'm guessing he's calling like the police or tow truck. It's like somebody to help fix this issue. And uh, the other dude goes, like, kind of, like, sets himself right for a minute, then goes to the front where the other dude's sitting in his car, and they start to fist fight. Not crazy fist fight, like one's kind of throwing, backing up, and one's kind of throwing, but they're fist fighting. And finally, the uh, Turkish dude gets him by the clothes and then throws him on the ground. And I'm like, this is not, this is not de-escalating. <laughs> okay? So finally, the other dude gets up and goes, you, uh, something to the effect of like, you're dead now, motherfucker. And then goes, and this is the middle of like a business district, okay? Then goes, and then he pops his trunk and walks to the trunk. And I was like, oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> like, it, he, he, people go to the trunk on these kind of disputes. I'm out. I'm out. I want nothing to do with it. I want, I am done, donezo. I, relevant authorities can handle it from here. I'm good. So he goes to his trunk, and I, I was like, fuck that. So I kind of, like, I, there was like this uh, walkway we had a, had a, like, cement, on either sides of it. So I, get, I duck down behind that and I'm kind of looking over the top and I'm pulling, you know, again, she's my wife now, my girlfriend at the time, I'm like pulling down and I'm like, holy fucking shit, this guy's going to the trunk. This dude's about to get capped in the middle of fucking broad daylight. And the Turkish dude goes over there <laughs> and takes his hand and slams the trunk down uh, before the guy could ever pull anything out of it and is in his face fucking screaming. Ready for this one? You got a problem, you got a problem, you got a problem, you got a problem. Just asking him if he has a problem over and over and over and over and over and over again. Literally backing the dude up. Backing the dude up as he had gone to the trunk. I was like, dude, I don't know where this, this dude is from. I don't know if he's from Istanbul or Tehran or, you know, somewhere in Azerbaijan. I don't know where this dude is from exactly. But this dude has come from a country where he has seen some shit. And this does not intimidate him at all, at all. So finally, he like slams the dude shut. Like, you got a problem, you got a problem, you got a problem. I mean, he's like in his fucking face saying this at this point. So then finally, he goes back to his car, resumes his phone call. Dude in the other car just drives off. Now, he must have gotten his place or something. I mean, or maybe he did or he didn't. And that was the end of it. But the dude went to the trunk. And he just slammed the shit shut and then got in his face angry. I was like, holy fucking shit. That dude is the. T I mean, I'm telling you, he he looked like an he looked like a cab driver, like a cab driver, looked like a cab driver. You know, you would have thought nothing of him. wasn't tall, wasn't strong looking. You know, just an average dude with hairy arms and kind of whatever accent he had. I was like, wow, dude, my man has been fucking dudes up on the streets of Constantinople. Holy shit. Uh, it's been disgusting to watch the media and the World Health Organization uncritically repeat the Chinese government lies. This person writes. 80,000 has been the number for weeks now. Whitewashing human rights abuse is currently happening. Yeah, I mean, if the argument is, do I believe the reports coming out of China in totality about who has and hasn't died? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, don't you find it morally irresponsible to cover the Showtime boxing event with the pandemic going on? Yeah, well, considering the fights were back from 2007, 
think we're good. I think we're good. Uh, you said on Morning Combat, 1917 didn't make it to your top 10. So that then raises the question, what is your top 10? Well, I said I'd be hard-pressed, but I wouldn't say it's impossible. Um, okay, All Quiet on the Western Front, Ran, Saving Private Ryan, Letters from Iwo Jima, uh, Full Metal Jacket, Apocalypse Now. Um, that's six, right? Uh, let me think here. I'm trying to think of all the ones that I've watched that I really like. Um, Full Metal Jacket. Maybe Hurt Locker I'd put in front of that. Maybe. Sort of a separate one, right? It's kind of a different one. I had, I had a list here of I had made notes on. Um, Patton is another one I would have. Um, Deer Hunter you could put in there. Um, what are some other ones I would have, have my list here? I made some notes, my old notes from the episode. Uh... Let's see. I've not... No. Um, Let's see. Thin Red Line. Thin Red Line's incredible. Glory I'd put there. And then, of course, Rand would be number one. So maybe it makes top... It's like the bubble 10, I would say. If Tony wins against Khabib, where does that put Tony Ferg all time in lightweight history? Especially if he stops Khabib. Shit, man. I mean, you have to reign over division for me to say that you're, like, top of the heap. But in terms of, like, you know, all important wins, I mean, they don't come much bigger than that, right? I mean, you're talking about it put him in the pantheon of, A, some of the biggest wins in UFC history, and B, um, part of the streak he was on, I think, is the bigger sort of historical context here. All that long. Dude hadn't lost since 2012. And then to end up with uh, to that, pretty great. Why is eye contact so intense and weird during intimacy? <laughs> um, I don't know. It's like it, it can be hard to maintain even eye contact with the camera, right? There's something sort of there's a there's a vulnerability there. Sorry if I have this incorrect, Luke, but I thought America had some sort of three strike policy when it comes to criminal offenses. Could this play into the Jones situation? He has three vehicular offenses. And only two, I'm saying only two, but if the, if the, if the issue is a three-strike policy, you've only got two, hear my daughter, just screaming, um, two related to uh, DWI or DUI. Uh, I don't know what the rules are. Again, the way it was explained to me by an attorney was that could make a difference, depending on how they view it and what the rules are that's constructed. But the idea that it's guaranteed he goes to jail, I don't think that is the case right now. Could, but... Yeah, the three-strike policy has been, It's remember, it's a huge country. Certain states adopt it, certain ones don't. Miss D.C. a lot, lived there for a few years, not MMA-related question. What do you love about D.C. the most? Many things, I suppose. Um, you know, I love, uh, I love all the natural green space, you know. I love there's so many parks, there's so many places to see. So many of it, so much of it free. All the, not all, but most of the museums are free, you know, to the public. I love that. That's a part of like the culture and the life here. Um, it's the most educated city in the country by far. Um, so conversations can be also, you know, a little bit uh, pedantic at times, and people try to one up each other. But like when you find someone who, it's not it's not hard to have an educated conversation with somebody, um, which in MMA it's 
profoundly difficult. So I, I like that. Is the Japanese wizard or arm throw off the elbow collar a viable takedown in a street fight? An arm throw off the elbow collar? Also, is John Jones the closest to Aaron Hernandez? I mean, that's a, that's a little unfair. I don't know what the takedown is you're describing. Oh, Japanese wizard. Um, yeah, sure, it could be. I think. I have to see it again, but I think that's right. Now that it seems we have got you to JRE, we got to get you to Impulsive, bro. Oh, is that the uh, Logan Paul one? Yeah, I'm not sure I'm the right fit for that show. Who has the most layered defensive striking system in MMA and does it rival prime Jose Aldo? To what degree can defensive striking improve in MMA? A long way. Most people don't have it. Remember a lot of things about defensive striking. It's not just about slipping, parrying, footwork. All that is real. That's part of it too. But part of it can be your offense. Like go back to the Lee versus um, Oliveira fight from Brasilia. Right? The, if you can stick a jab in someone's face and keep them at the end of your jab that has an offensive component, whether you're blinding them for a follow-up shot, whether you're punching their head back and it's hurting them, there's an offensive component. The other one there is it's a defensive component because they can't get close to you. The offense becomes also part of the defense. And so there's you know the jab in that way is just not all that prominent, not all that smooth in MMA. It's a big problem. Um, so layer defense, I, I, I think Joe Rogan said it, I think he's right. The most sophisticated striker I've ever seen in MMA has Got to be Israel Adesanya. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, if you're talking about sophistication and layers of defense in terms of what he does, he's got leans, he's got feints to stop you, he can keep you with measure distance, um, he's got trickery, footwork, angles, uh, they're, you know, switching stances. He is, he is, he does more defensively than anyone uh, in terms of the layers. Advice for getting cheated on, 18 years old and becoming a weed smoker and a sad hermit for 16 years. That is now incapable of trust as a 34-year-old man. Um, probably psychological counseling, but more simple advice is stop or reduce your weed smoking. Go outside, join a club, join a gym, pursue a hobby, and then just start figuring out what else in life you could pour your attention into. What phrase would you delete from the MMA world if you could? Mine would be rock'em, sock'em, robots. Cheapens the experience. I would say um, embrace the grind. Fuck that noise. It's just the flu, right, bro? Yeah. Uh, someone says, uh, please read Capital in the 21st Century. It's the new Thomas Piketty book. Yes, I know who it is. Yeah, it's a long book. I've not read it. I've got a long list of things to get to, but I would love to put that on the list. With 2020 hindsight on the year 2020 ASAP, Jones will only be at peace when he accepts who he is and not really what he has done. This money better not go towards Butterfingers and 40s, sir. Ireland represent. It won't. It will go to charity. You feel empathy for John. How is Alex Jones different? The man has problems. However, I don't feel the society leaving him would be right. Well, um, if he does, in fact, I'm not, you might be right about the fact that he needs help, in which case I, he should get it. But like John might be facing legal consequences, so is Alex. And I believe that Alex uh, needs to pay for them. Right? I think he has done significant damage to the individual families that are suing him. 
um, and perhaps more broadly than that, but keeping it just to what the, what the lawsuits are principally about, you're right. If he does, in fact, have substance abuse issues um, or, or other deep problems, then everyone deserves to get the help that they need. However, to the extent that he has engaged in behavior where there are consequences to it, like John, like anybody else, they should have to face that as well. Thoughts on Brad Riddell. Quake. He, he, I've not seen much from him, but every time I have, I've been super impressed. Uh, how similar is this game to Volkanovsky? Eh, he's got his own. Volkanovsky's got a very unique game. Any chance to make a video of analyzing the CKB system of striking? I have to do more work because I've not seen enough of Riddell to really get a keen sense of things, but I would love to do that. Why don't we see Gogo Plata's applied from the side of the neck with the shin applying pressure to the carotid? Uh, because another carotid would be open. If I'm going to apply it this way, it means that is going to be still open if I'm pulling this way. right? A lot of times you'll see guys get guillotines and they'll strain, and they might even strain and turn, in which case they close this one, but then they just leave that one open. More questions about Ashley Evan Smith. Any advice on bulking during the quarantine? Not that hard. Not that hard. Oliveira smashed Lee. Is he dangerous to Khabib? I think that's, I said this last week, I think that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, which isn't to say it's not true, but I think other tasks in front of him need to be met before we can declare that's a thing we can do. But if he passes those, the things you're pointing out now that he's good at, I think then you'd have more reason to believe they could be a considerable threat. So on paper, it looks kind of interesting, but you would just like to see it tested against higher-level opposition a little bit more. Build the most complete fighter. Oh, my God. Um, uh, Chris Lieben, prime Chris Lieben chin. Um, you know, Francis Ngannou punching power. Adesanya's overall striking. Uh, you know, Mirko Krokop's left leg, um, Connor's left hand, uh, you know, Khabib's overall wrestling game, um, Demian Maya's unorthodox takedowns, BJ Penn's guard, something like that, right? Um, try West Coast IPAs, Noble, Green Cheek, and Rip. How did I recover from my first heartbreak from a girl? Uh, painfully, painfully. You, you do you do not get over these sorts of like any 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 kind of trauma in your life, such as that you want to consider that to be trauma. Depends how bad it is. Um, some level of social isolation, I suppose, is to a degree inevitable. But dude, that is a path to nowhere. It's a it's a fine moment to just gather yourself. But dude, you eventually have to get out there and you have to just reclaim the world. You have to. That is the there. The, I always tell folks it's like you can go to the left of the fire. You won't get there. You can go to the right of the fire. You won't get there. You can try to go over. You won't get there. You can try to go under. You won't get there. There is one way through all of these problems. It is through it. It is through it. And so investing in your physical health, investing in other projects, investing in time with friends, uh, investing in, to the extent that's necessary, you know, psychological counseling. Like, these are the things you have to do. Investing the time in nature and all these, you know, reducing the amount of substances that you're using, whether it's marijuana or whatever or alcohol. You you just ha you you, ha you cannot that that is fine for a little while to help you. That is it. That is it. There is one way, straight through it. 
have you followed the work done by James Lindsay and Peter Bogosian called Grievance Studies? They published several hoax papers in academic journals to test their research stamps. Yes, I saw some of that, and they, they were able to get like total nonsense published. Um, I've not seen the fallout exactly, but I have heard of that case, yes. Someone says, on the one hand, I love MMA, but I agree that there aren't many good guys in MMA, and I'm appalled by how the UFC has handled the COVID situation. How can I justify my fandom? I don't know, because I have a job to do, so that kind of makes my options a little bit more limited. I don't know the answer to that. To be to be to be perfectly honest with you, I really that is one I'm I'm wrestling with myself. I love fights, right? I hope you guys saw that with the Diego and Caro video. Like I love fights, but I don't I do not feel like I fit in very well in MMA as in the world, and I don't want to have much to do with it other than the ability to talk about those fights and everything else. Um, and that so that that distance for me has been a way to help some of that, but I don't know I don't know the answer to that. What would be a bigger fight and a more competitive? Connor Khabib 2 if they both won, uh, or Connor versus Masvidal if they both win? Dana says Connor Khabib 2, and so does Brian Campbell. I tend to believe Connor Masvidal, but maybe that's kind of faded a little bit. So maybe they were right. Maybe Connor Khabib 2. Someone says, I had to eat my dachshund this morning. I have no food. Quarantine 10 days now. Super fan. Thank you. Don't be eating dogs, y'all. Who do you think in each division has the best chance of beating each champion right now? All right, let's go through this real quick. These are long, hard questions, y'all. All right, so let's go through it. Flyweight, obviously Benavidez. Bantamweight, I'm going to say Peter Yan. Featherweight, Max. Lightweight, Tony. Although that's debatable, I suppose. Uh, Kamaru, I'll say not many people. I'll say maybe Colby. Israel, I'll say, I'll say Paulo Costa. Jones, I thought Reyes beat him, so I'll say Reyes. And then Stipe's got to be DC. Uh, for Amanda, or so let's say women's strawweight. I would say Tatiana Suarez if she was healthy, but I don't know if she is. At flyweight, not a fucking soul on earth. And then at bantamweight, I'll say... Shit. Uh... None of them. Shouldn't we be hoping John gets professional help instead of hating him? Yes. The man is troubled. Yeah, I agree. Appreciate the extra content during this crappy time. Wishing your family the best. Best uh, non-journalist in the game. That's right. Thank you. Could you please share your most embarrassing moment? Yes, but not today. Tell you what. You guys get me over 200,000 subs. I'll tell you. And I have a. Oh, do I have a good one. I was going to tell it on JRE if it ever came up. I'll save it for you. I'll tell you what. I have got, it is a fucking hilarious, it's one of the worst, it's it's like, it would be the worst time in my life, and it was, but it was so fucking funny that I just can't deny how funny it is. You get me over 200K, I'll tell you the story. There you go. What did you think of Conor McGregor donating 1 million dollars, which is 1.1, or 1 million euros, excuse me, which is 1.1 million US to purchase medical supplies to give to several hospitals? Yeah, and I saw Drew Brees. Gave five million, and I think David De Gea, David De Gea has given some as well. Dude, Connor's been totally stand up during this whole time. I've loved every message he sent. I love that impassioned plea he gave to Irish leadership and to the Irish people. I love that he's taking it seriously. Michael Bisping as well. Shouts to Michael Bisping. I know he, I, I think he might hate me. I don't know, but I really appreciate 
um, everything he's done. I think that's great. Max Holloway too, but in particular, you're right. Connor donating, putting his money where his mouth is, living his ideals in this way. You know, I don't know what's going to happen with his other troubles and whatnot, but I thought that was great. Really appreciate that from Connor McGregor. Um, the guy is maybe he's turned a corner. You know, I don't know. Luke, does Busted Open have proverbial blood on their hands and being reverential towards WWE AEW for doing it for the fans? Um, that might be a bit of a strong way to put it. Um, but I certainly disagree with the idea that putting it on for the fans is a good idea. Further to your point about the sport being filled to the brim with snakes, do you have any thoughts regarding God, all these questions about Ashley Evan Smith? Do you think bumps on fighters' abs is evidence of HGH use? I don't really care. Who do you think would be a good match for... Oops, sorry. Who do you think would be a good match for... Fuck, these are so many questions. I'm going to get through these as fast as I can. Who do you think would be a good match for Valentina? Amanda Nunes, and that is it. Goku versus Superman. I don't know who Goku is. Uh, your show-and-tell style of the classic Diego versus Carl was amazing. More of that. More's coming, boys and girls. More's coming. And I'm, I saw the response. You all seem to love it. But I'll point out that video did one of the worst videos I've put up all month. You know what I mean? This is why I don't do a lot of that stuff because it's very labor intensive. And from a, like, I think how much money I made in ads on that fight, I'll tell you. Look, I'll show you. I will show you. So here's how much I made on that. Let's see if y'all can see it. I'm gonna pull it up here so I can show you. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna front. Let's see if you can see. Twenty-five bucks on that video. That is not what I normally make. <laughs> I make many, many, many multiples of that on most videos. Um, so it's a lot of work. And it takes a lot of time, and it doesn't do me a lot of good. Now, there's other values to making videos like that than just its monetary return, so I'm going to keep it up. But, um, you know, that's it's. You know, everyone was like, oh, what kind of content should you do in the, uh, in the downtime? And a lot of people had recommended stuff like that. And in the downtime, I'm doing it, and uh, it, there's very little financial and, and traffic. I, I gained almost no subscribers from it. You know, it just doesn't do all that well. So I need people. If you really like that content, I'm going to keep doing it because I think there's more value than just money. But you got to share it around for me. Please share it around because they don't do all that well. Uh, someone says, thanks for all you do. Thank you. Rakic on 249 with top 10 opponent. Guesses to who? I don't know. Uh, Luke, Hurt Locker is terrible and a joke in the EOD community for the technical side at least. Maybe. I don't know much about the EOD side, so you could be right. Have you ever had to physically defend your wife or girlfriend? Um, no. No. With all the coronavirus stress, I can't dump loads like I normally do. Any advice? Uh, drink. Please don't feel embarrassed for taking money for your super chats. You offer tremendous value, yes, but they're all going to go to charity from now for the next month. Thanks for everything you do, and we generally appreciate everything you do. Please stay safe and... Uh, uh, thanks. Yeah, well, thank you guys. It was a $50 donation. Again, all going to go to charity. I'll figure out probably by next week where it's going to go. The U.S. passed 100,000 confirmed cases. Is that true? Before I say that on the air, like, let's go to covidtracking.com. Let's see if that's true. 
And that's not quite true according to their updates. Uh, it's still at 82,000. What was the last time you cried happy tears? Ooh. My daughter was born, for sure. Um, yeah. Has Nganu become undefeated since his last three fights ended so quickly? How, how, how do you judge hand speed as an analyst? I judge hand speed as an analyst when it's used effectively. But you, I, I, more than hand speed, I like um, someone who's got better timing. Has become, oh, has Nganu become underrated since his last three fights? I would say potentially the risk is overrating him, which is to say, are there still other challenges to his game we haven't really got a chance to see because no one's really pushed him? I have big front teeth that make me bad at kissing to the point where I cause laughter and feel shame. How can I get a girl to know I like her without kissing? Fucking tell her. Someone says, well, until 200K, can I hear the second most embarrassing? Nope. The embarrassing one, I'm telling you, the embarrassing one is so good. It involves my time in the military. That gives you any indication. It's so fucking good. There's not even a close second. There's not even a close second. Uh, I'm just paying you to listen to Gibbs' tiny desk. Good man. And then last but not least, $5 for the Eagle Rare reference. One of my favorites. What are some of your favorite bourbons? Um, I I drink a lot of local bourbon. I drink. I, I just stay local, man. I just I like doing that. Um, so right now I'm having. I never had it before. I'm now having Buffalo Trace. It's very good, very good. Uh, okay. Okay, enough of that. All right, one more time here. Let me go back to my thing so I can see everything that's happening. Subscribe. All right, thumbs up. Here we go. Thumbs up for the video. Subscribe to the channel. Thank you guys so much for watching. Um, my Wyman interview will be up. I'll put this on podcast. I appreciate you guys. Until next time, stay frosty, donks.